God, it's good to see everybody this morning. If you please take your Bibles and open to uh, Acts chapter 20. That's where we'll be studying from this morning in God's Word during our time of uh, the preaching of the Word. Everybody doing all right this morning? Pretty good, all right. It's good to be here with you. Tonight we are planning on having service at 6 p.m. Um, we'll be starting a study in the minor prophet Malachi tonight, so I invite you out for that. And also uh, a couple of things, I want to make sure these are announced, that uh, the two adult classes, <clears throat> the youngest adult class, <clears throat> and then the middle adult class will actually be joining back together today and we'll be meeting in chap- in uh, room G13. So that'll be going on. That'll be. We'll start off this uh, year meeting back together. That may change as we go throughout the year. And we certainly want to uh, um, remember Lori after the passing of her dad. Lori, we sure are sorry to, to hear that. But know that he is with the Lord, so we're thankful, thankful for that. <clears throat> Acts chapter 20. And we are in a sermon series that I'm calling Life in the Local Church. Just started that last week, the beginning of uh, this year. And last week's message was Elders in the Church, in Church Life. And this is really part two of that. I thought that last week might be uh, all that we would need. But as I was preparing for this week, I felt like we needed to come here to Acts chapter 20. And see some important truths from this chapter. Uh, I'll read as our portion of scripture for the message today. Verses 17 through 32. Even though we're not going to be looking in depth at all of those verses. So if you'd please join me there. I'll read from God's word. Beginning in Acts chapter 20 verse 17. I'm reading from the New King James Version. From Miletus... He sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my, my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Verse 25, and indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. 
Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch, and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That concludes the reading of God's Word. Let's go to the Lord now together in prayer. Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus, I come to you today. And Lord, we gather as a people who can say with the psalmist, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Father, you have saved us from our enemies. Death, the devil, sin, the world, the flesh, the devil, or all of these things that are against us, but yet they've been conquered. They've been abolished through the cross of Jesus Christ. Father, afresh today, I thank you for the gospel that it has brought life and immortality to light. As we gather together as your people this day, Father, we, though many, most, I would say, in our midst have believed this gospel, there are some who have not, and I pray for the salvation of their souls, yes, even today. And Father, I confess our sins. I pray, Father, that you'd please forgive us for not doing the things that we should have done. And I pray, Father, that you would forgive us for doing some things that we should not have done. We have sinned. We are sinners. And we are always in need of salvation through Jesus Christ. We are always in need of your grace. I thank you, Lord, for your grace. As we look to your word today, as I open it to try to proclaim it to your people, please give me strength to preach your word and to rightly divide it. And I pray, Father, that you would give your people ears to hear today. Give them grace that they might hear it. And that they might receive it, Lord, not as the words of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Acts chapter 20. I didn't give you any lead, lead in to that chapter as we uh, went to it there and uh, we read from it. But I, I hope that perhaps you 
are a little bit familiar with it. You remember I preached through Ephesians not too long ago. And one of the chapters that I would have referenced many times in going through the book of Ephesians would have been this particular chapter. Because Paul here is talking to the elders from Ephesus. And I hope that you will, as you're studying God's word and hearing God's word proclaim, that you'll not be satisfied with someone telling you where something is, reading it, and then just going on. I hope that when you hear a significant passage of scripture like this read, that you in your mind will say, I want to remember where that is. And I want to remember that Paul was talking to the elders in Ephesus. And I want to remember the contents of that which he said to them. Don't be satisfied when you're reading the Bible just to read it and to go on. Be a student of the word. Desire to know the word. Desire it even more than your necessary food. Think of it in this way. When you go to the book of Acts, there are some, uh, what, 28 chapters in the book of Acts. Um, When you think about this book as an example, since we are here this morning, challenge yourself to try to remember what each chapter of a book is about. So that when I might say, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20, you would say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where Paul called the elders of Ephesus to Miletus and he spoke to them. He preached to them. I know what's there. I wonder what Brother Eric's going to draw out of that this morning. Or Acts chapter 1 or Acts chapter 28, wherever it might be. When you go to the Word, seek to know what is in the Bible. That's just a little, little side note, okay? I just had to put that in there this morning. As we're getting started with our Bible reading this year, and some of you working through the Bible, working through different plans, hey, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint, and we learn a little more over time as we continue to be in God's Word. We're talking about elders in the church, and um, in, in this particular text, we're really going to be focusing on really on verse 17. And then verses 28 through 32. The first thing that I'd like to point out to you from uh, verse 17 is this. That the elders must represent the church. Elders must represent the church. You see, when Paul called them, he didn't want to stop in Ephesus. He went on past Ephesus because he's ultimately on his way back to Jerusalem. And then he's going to be arrested when he gets there to Jerusalem. And then he's going to end up at the in the uh, city of Rome under or house arrest by the end of the, the book. Um, here he calls for these elders. You notice he didn't call for the entire church to come. But he called for these elders to come. Why? Because in part they represent the church and they are the ones who lead the church. As go the elders, so goes the church. As go the leaders, so goes those who are following. And it could be said with that, that with a, a nation and its people. In many cases, it could be said that with a football team. Nick Saban just retired this past week, so we know something of what it is to have a leader uh, change hands, leadership change hands, and we wonder who's going to be the next head coach of uh, uh, the Crimson Tide. And we're concerned about the future of that program. Some might be. Whether they're going to get a good coach or not a great coach, what will the future of it be? It's very much important because of the person who's leading it. As goes the elders, so goes the church. 
So Paul here is taking these elders and he's investing in them in a very special way in this chapter because, or in this meeting, because their leadership is crucial. As you look here in verse 17, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. It's elders, plural, and it's the church, singular. There was one church in Ephesus, and there were multiple elders in that church. We do not know how many of them there were. We see this in different places, as I referenced last week. But we notice here that it wasn't up to one man to lead this congregation, even though Timothy would be there later on. It's actually there that Timothy would be when he received the first letter, First Timothy, from the Apostle Paul. In MacArthur's book, The Master's Plan for the Church, he said this. This really, I think, is a powerful statement about the plurality of elders. He said, in the New Testament church, leadership belonged collectively to a group of elders who were its leaders under the Spirit of God. One man was not responsible for doing everything. And that's how it should be. The pastor is not a professional problem solver who runs around with an ecclesiastical bag of tools waiting for the next problem to repair or the next squeaky wheel to grease. And after I read that with a group of men, I said, Amen and well said. The wisdom of this is... um, well, it's, it's wisdom. If you think about where elders probably came from, the plurality of elders probably came from, it probably came from Moses' time. When his father-in-law told him what he's doing is not wise because Moses was trying to handle all of the people's problems and then he told him, you ought to appoint men to help you with this. So he appointed these men and they took upon themselves the burden of the, the people of Israel. And so it is today in the New Testament church. Uh, when we think about the men who are elders here, it is myself and Brother David. We are desiring to appoint other men to that. And we believe that for the health of this congregation, we need other men to be elders here at the church. We need other men who are responsible for the shepherding of this congregation, for the spiritual care of this congregation. When you think about two offices that we find in Scripture for the church or two positions, the one is elder or pastor, bishop, overseer. The other is the office of deacon. The elder cares for the spiritual needs of the church. Deacons are responsible for caring for the physical needs of a congregation. And while we at this time have several good men who serve as deacons, It is our desire, and we ask you to continue to be in prayer, that the church would have other men to be raised up and to be appointed as elders to care for this congregation. Now, let's go to point number two. Elders must take heed. Elders must take heed. Here we'll come to verse 28. After Paul has told them that he did not shun to declare to them the whole counsel of God, he then says in verse 28, Therefore... Take heed to yourselves. Paul's about to be going on from them. He will see their face no more. Therefore, take heed to yourselves 
and to all the flock. Now, let's look at this. And we're going to break this up into some different questions or different points here. Um, What are they to take heed to? What is it that they are to take heed to? You see, first of all, they are to take heed to themselves. And then you see, secondly, that they are to take heed to the flock. This is found in verse 28. To take heed means to be careful, to be on the alert, to pay attention. I've used the illustration before of parents entering into a parking lot, parking their car, getting out of the car with several children and walking across a busy parking lot. As they are doing so, those, those, any good parent, I assure you, is taking heed. That parent is being alert, paying attention to the people, to the vehicles that are around so that they can deliver their children safely to wherever, to the facility that they're going into. If you are a child and you have a set of Legos in your room and you have some visitors over to your house who are children and those children go into your room, then you might take heed to what's going on in your room if there's Legos there and you don't want them to get broken. So you're taking heed. You're paying attention. You're being careful. You're watching the other people. You're seeing what's going on. You're taking heed. Here, Paul tells them to take heed first to themselves. And then to all the flock. Be alert. Be on guard. Pay attention, he says, to yourselves. How important this is. And how much, may, how much sense it makes. That those men who are over a congregation, who are overseeing it, who are shepherding a congregation, must watch out for themselves. They must keep themselves healthy in all facets of life, but most importantly, in their spiritual walk with the Lord. They must take heed to themselves. But they also must take heed to the flock, the flock of God that He has given to them. Now you notice it there, verse 28. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. We might think of John chapter 10. We might think of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. We think of John 10, where Jesus says that he is the good shepherd, that a hireling does not care for the sheep. He will run when the wolves come, but uh, the shepherd of the sheep, he's willing to lay down his life for his sheep. Jesus laid down his life for us, the church. He said that he would lay his life down and he would take it up again. He he did that for His sheep, for His people, for the church, to save us from our sins. Jesus Christ did that. And I use that as an example for an elder because an elder who is just a hireling, a man who's just in it for the money, a man who's just, um, you know, wanting a job, when it gets tough, he's going to run and look for another place. He's not going to stand strong. He's not going to try to protect the congregation when the wolves come in. But a man who is a shepherd of the people will stand strong through thick and through thin. Because he loves the congregation. Because he loves the Lord. Because he realizes that this is more than about him. But it is about Christ and his glory through the church. And really elders in the congregation are to be like the Proverbs say in Proverbs twenty seven twenty three, Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. Now that's talking about probably literal flocks and herds. 
But we could take that and certainly apply it to the importance of elders being diligent to know the state of your flock and attend to your herds. I've written here that elders work together. Elders in a congregation work together for the good of the church. If one man does it, it's on behalf of all the elders. We're not competing to see who can get the church in their corner or the most of the church in their corner. We have but one collective goal, and that is to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood, and to shepherd it well. So that's the what we take heed to. Let's now look at why to take heed. And we see this in this passage as well. Why take heed? In verse 28, you'll see it because he says there, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So the first thing that we find here is because it's the Holy Spirit's appointment. Why should these men take heed to the flock there in Ephesus? Why should these men who are there hearing the Apostle Paul say this? Why should they take heed? And why should they care for themselves and for the flock? Because the Holy Spirit has made them overseers over that congregation. And I'll say to you this morning that that is the way in which we ought to look at the men who are in positions of elder in a church. They ought to be looked at as those who have been appointed by the Holy Spirit to to care for a flock. Because if we don't really view them in that way and we think that they are somehow self-appointed or we think that they are just uh, wrongly appointed, then we, we stand the chance of viewing them in the wrong way. Now, uh, there were a couple of comments last week, like somebody said, oh, brother, brother Eric wants a race. And then there was another comment about Elder Bob, because I talked about Elder Bob, who defended somebody uh, later in the week. So th- this isn't about me. This is about the life of a church. This is about our health as a congregation, rightly view- viewing positions of leadership that God has given to us. Whether it's us, whether you go to another congregation one day, Whoever it might be, we want to view these positions in the church rightly. So the first thing we see is it's the Holy Spirit's appointment. But the next thing we see is that it is the purchased possession of God. Why would these men take heed? Because that which they are overseeing is the purchased possession of God. In verse 28. He says to them, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. This is a fascinating verse. Because instead of it saying the church of Jesus Christ, which he purchased with his own blood, it says the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Why is it or how is it that God shed his blood for the church? The way that occurred is because Christ Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross. And that man who died there on that cross was not just a man. He was the God-man. Fully God, fully man. That's who Jesus is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
We read in Romans chapter 9 that Paul saying about Jesus Christ when he's writing to the Jews there in Rome or about Jews. He says, of whom are the fathers and from whom according to the flesh Christ came, who was over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. Jesus Christ is the eternally blessed God. In Titus chapter 2, we see our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul writes and reminds the elders from Ephesus that God has purchased His bride. That God has shed His blood. For without the shedding of blood, without blood, there is no remission of sins. So... Why should elders take heed? They should take heed because this thing that they are involved in, in leading a church, we're we're the, the bride of Christ. We are the purchased possession of God. We've been bought with a price. Next we'll see this. Why must they take heed? Because savage wolves will come in. It says in verse 29, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Now, apparently, he's talking about those who are going to come in among the church, perhaps among the elders, and that these savage wolves that come in, they're, not, they're going to have no mercy upon the flock. They're going to to seek to destroy the flock. Not to build it up. Not to work for its good. But to destroy it. They're savage wolves. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Concerning false prophets. He uh, spoke, spoke of them and said that they are ravenous wolves. Let's see, in verse 15, he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Now, if you, th- if you take that passage and then you take what Paul's saying here in, in Acts chapter 20, How is it that these savage wolves will come in? Is it because they look like a wolf? It would be because they looked like a sheep. They looked like they were part of the flock. But yet, in the midst of that, they show themselves ultimately to be wolves. To be those who are seeking to destroy the flock. So they must take heed because... Savage wolves will come in. They must take heed because men will rise up to draw away. In verse 30, he says also, From among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Now it seems like he's saying, Elders, from among you men will rise up. Or maybe he's saying among the church, men will rise up. So there's going to be men who come in as disguised. 
who are actually wolves. But then in the midst of the flock, there are going to be men or maybe in the midst of the elders, there will be men who rise up who are not actually for the things of God, who are actually not for the truth of the gospel, but they are actually seeking to draw away the disciples after themselves. Pay attention to it in verse 30. They speak perverse things and they are seeking to draw away the disciples after themselves. There's much that we can learn from this. We can see in verse 30 that the way that this drawing away happens through speaking, through talking, through the things that are said, through smooth words perhaps that are proclaimed or spoken to others. And we see here in verse 30 that they are a people who are seeking not to draw away people or point people to Jesus Christ, but rather to draw away the flock to follow them. They make it about themselves. Beloved, that is not the kind of church you want to be a part of. You do not want to be a part of a church where it's about a man other than the man, Jesus Christ. That is the one that it must be about. Because men are going to come and go, but Jesus Christ reigns forever. He does not change. So, this is dangerous business. Be an an elder? Be a shepherd? Over a church? I'll say there's no higher calling in the land. In my opinion. But it's dangerous business. It's not for the faint of heart. And uh, as a church. You we need to know. That these dangers are real. We, we can't sit back and say. Oh that was for the Ephesians. A couple thousand years ago. Things have changed. People have progressed. No, they haven't, have they? We might have cars and iPhones, but, but we have not progressed in our sinful nature and in our pride and the way that we can hate the truth of God and hate the gospel of God. And the devil has not changed either in the way in which he seeks to destroy the church and to devour it. So, um, let's pay attention to that. Now, let's move to the next, and I guess the last one, how to take heed. How are these men going to take heed? How would any church elders take heed? In verse 31, he says, Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone Night and day with tears. I didn't really put much about verse 31 in my, um, in my notes. But there's probably some things there. Watching and remembering. You watch. Elders are to watch. And they are to remember. Now if you go to verse 32. This is where we'll spend the rest of our time and conclude today. Verse 32, he says, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those 
who are sanctified. The word commend here means to set before or to entrust. Now, please notice this. Paul says to the men, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace. The definition, again, means to set before, to entrust, is to entrust something to someone with the intention, intention of preservation. And it's used as an example in Acts 16, verse 34, of setting food before someone. So please, let's realize that Paul does not say to the elders, I commend God and His Word to you. Try this. He doesn't do that. But what he says is, Men, I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace. God and the Word of His grace is not changing. It is sufficient. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Men, I Put you before God and the word of His grace. That is where you will find what you need. That is where you will be safe and you will be secure. That is is where I commend you. That is where I entrust you to. So we see those two things here. We see that they are commended to God. And we see that they are commended to the word of His grace. You see, any church, and I'll say to you guys, you ought to be concerned if elders or pastors ever seem to sh- seem to or show sh- signs of getting away from the word of god a congregation ought to be concerned If it's members, let me say it this way. You ought to be concerned if you are getting away from the Word of God. You see, it's an all-in family thing. It's all of us. But I will say to you, the expectation that you ought to have as a church is for the Word of God to be proclaimed to you. Because He here commends them knowing that if they will take heed to themselves, if they will care for the flock of God rightly, they must have a standard by which to do that. And the standard by which to do that is God and to the word of His grace. I commend you to it. If you want to know how to do this, if you want to shepherd the church of God rightly, then go to God and go to the word of His grace because that's the way it's going to happen. I told you last week, and I'll repeat it again this week. We, we've, we see that elders are supposed to rule in a congregation. 
How do elders rule in the church but by proclaiming the standard of God's word and truth to the church and then leading the church to obey that or follow that? The expounding of the word and the application of the word. That's the only way that men can rule in a church is simply by the word of God. By proclaiming it, rightly dividing it, and then seeking to apply it. That's our goal. That's what it's all about. That's what we must do. And that's what you must do. Because uh, elders in a church can do so much, but you as an individual follower of Christ have to take ownership for your faith. You have to take ownership for your faith to say, I, I, I want to follow Jesus and I want to know Him. I want to know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable, conformable to His death. And the way that I will do that is by going to God and to the Word of God's grace. I need it. I must have it. Because you see two things. I don't have it on your handout. But you see this. God in the word of His grace is able to do this. It's able to build you up. You know, edify. When people come in and join us, I hope that they will be welcomed here and edified, built up. How will they be built up? I believe they'll be built up through the word of the Lord. So, be built up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified, those who are set apart to be holy. At the end of verse 32. So, um, you know, think about what we're giving our lives to. Uh, News, Fox News, video games, social media, Facebook, Netflix, YouTube, Instagram, sports, all this different stuff. And I ask you this question, what kind of inheritance do you get from those? But God promises us an inheritance through Christ and He promises us an inheritance through His Word. Because in that Word, we are built up little by little by little by little. And we have an inheritance. He gives us an inheritance through that Word. Ultimately through the Word of the Gospel. This morning I remind you that if you know not Jesus Christ, that one who shed his blood on the cross to save sinners, if you do not know him, then you do not know God and you do not have salvation. You see, we preach Christ crucified, risen again on the third day as the only means, the only way of salvation for any man, woman, boy or girl. That's the only way. And the way in which we have life, have eternal life, is through this Christ, Jesus. Today I ask you, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Do you understand that His blood was shed? And through that shed blood, God has bought for Himself a people. And God is calling us, calling lost sinners to believe in the gospel. To believe in Christ who died. So, so those who proclaim the word must proclaim the gospel. The church that exists, exists because of the gospel. 
Elders who care for the church must care for the church. Why? Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ who has given His blood, shed His blood to save us from our sins. Today I hope that we see from this text a little bit more about uh, elders and the importance of this role, this position in the church. That elders are representative of the church, but also elders must take heed. You know what's a good question to ask an elder sometime? Hey, brother, are you taking heed? Are you taking heed to yourself? And then elders must help one another take heed to the flock. Because we know that ultimately, this is about Jesus and the gospel. And we want to be good stewards of what he has given to us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I give you thanks that you've instructed us. You have indeed informed us. And Lord, your word is not just a help to us. It we, Lord, can do nothing. We can do nothing of benefit apart from it. So, Lord God, I thank you that you have given us this the Scriptures. And I pray now, as we have worked our way through some of this, I pray that this would result, Lord, in the maturity of this congregation to understand more rightly the role of the elder, and really the what we are as a, as a whole, as a purchased possession of God, because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has shed His blood to save us. Father, I pray, again, that if there be anyone who knows not Jesus as their Savior, that perhaps they will realize afresh or realize the first time today that Jesus Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection and He the one who was seen alive from the dead is the means of salvation and that they would believe today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.